Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number one of Revelation chapter 19. We're going to be reading the first verse, Revelation 19, verse 1. And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven, saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. In this verse we find a vivid picture of the people of God lifting up the name of God in praise. The word Alleluia is um, a word that is only found four times in the New Testament, and all four times are in Revelation chapter 19. It is a, a word that's derived from the Hebrew, which means praise Yah or or uh, lift up the name of Yah the Lord praise the Lord is is basically what it's saying and and here we see after revelation 18 after a chapter in which God has pronounced the judgment upon Babylon and uh, and Babylon is representative of the kingdom of Satan the nations of the world. And chapter 19 says, And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, or praise Yah, praise the Lord. And then it goes on to say, What for? Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. And it is a triumphant lifting up of the name of God for the glorious victory he has won. The salvation of God is complete. He has pronounced the judgment on the world and, and he has defeated Satan, his constant enemy, and he has defeated the kingdom of Satan of this world. And, and so now it is time for God to be praised. And the language here that says, after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven, it ties in with, it, it's very similar to the language found in Revelation chapter 7 in verse 9. And in Revelation 7, 9, in the preceding verses, God has said that 12,000 were sealed from each of the twelve tribes of Israel, totaling the 144,000 that represent the first fruits unto God, or they picture all those that God saved throughout the 1955 years of the church age. And then it says in verse 9, After this I beheld, and and actually the Greek words are the same as in Revelation 19.1, where, again, it said, and after these things. Well, it's the same uh, underlying Greek 
in, in the Greek text here, after this, or after these things, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude. Now also, in our verse in Revelation 19, verse 1, it says, uh, after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven. And the two words, much people, are a translation of the same two words that are translated great multitude here in Revelation 7, verse 9. So we we have, again, additional agreement between the two passages. And, and it goes on to say, uh, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And uh, I'm going to continue reading into verse 10 and following. And cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, just as we find in Revelation 19. Hallelujah! Salvation to God. Salvation, in back here in Revelation 7.10, to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders, and the four beasts, or four living creatures, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might, be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. So we have um, the great multitude that is lifting up the name of God, first of all, by saying salvation to our God, and then they exalt his name and magnify his name by pointing out the glorious attributes of God, his glory, his wisdom, his honor and power, and and so forth. Actually, we have the same attributes, again, mentioned in this verse. Revelation 19, verse 1, And after these things I heard a great voice of much people, or of a great multitude in heaven. And by the way, the great multitude are all those that God saved out of great tribulation, the little season, the second part of the great tribulation, in which God sent forth the latter rain to save scores of millions of people, the completion of his glorious salvation program. He saved tens of millions all over the face of the earth, outside of the churches and congregations. And as soon as they were saved, they had their citizenship in heaven. They were seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we find that the great multitude in Revelation 19.1 is said to be in heaven. And let's not think that means that um, they cannot, some of them cannot also be present upon the earth. Uh, uh, no, it doesn't mean that. They they can be counted in heaven, yet still living on the earth. Well, it goes on to say, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power. Some of the same things that were mentioned in Revelation 7. 
listening unto the Lord our God. And, and, and certainly God is worthy of praise. He's worthy uh, to have his name exalted. He's the only worthy one. You know, when, when people try to lift up the name of other people, we, we kind of cringe and, uh, or we should actually people do that in the world all the time, but a true believer kind of cringes and it, it, it just doesn't sit right with us, uh, because we realize, look, we're all sinners. We've all offended God. There's none of us that are any, any special. There's none of us that are anything um, worthy of praise. And, and that's why Psalm 115 says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, it repeats it twice, but unto thy name give glory. And, and that's the desire of the child of God to give God the glory. As that wonderful hymn says, great things he has done. And, and so we desire to magnify his name, lift up his name, and not another, not a, certainly another man, and not our own name. We, uh, we abhor that idea. We, we despise the thought of having our own name lifted up and know that God as he has given us a new heart and a new spirit, he has placed within us an ongoing desire to do the will of God. And the will of God includes praising or lifting up the name of God. Hallelujah. Praise God or praise Yah. Praise the Lord. Not of our uh, seeking our own glory or our own things, but the things of another. Remember that verse in the New Testament. We we ought not to think of our own things, but the things of, of another. Esteem uh, the other better than ourselves. Well, in the first instance, we we are to consider the things of God and esteem God as the one that we want to consider better than ourselves and to lift up. And then, of course, we would also treat others much better than we do. But it is pride when man tries to lift up the name of another man, or when man tries to lift up his own name, that's pride. And it is not fitting. It's not appropriate. We don't deserve it. We're dirty, rotten, filthy sinners. What do we deserve according to God's word, the Bible, according to the law of God? We deserve death. We deserve to be destroyed forevermore. What good thing or what great thing have we done that is worthy of any glory or honor or praise of ourself? And well... Someone might say, we, we do desire to do God's will now, and isn't it a good thing when we keep his commandments or, or when we're going down the right path and doing things he would have us to do? Yes, it is 
good and right, but it's also our duty to do. And we're, we're not doing anything special. We're not doing anything worthy of praise and honor to ourselves. We're doing what we should be doing because we've been bought with a price and we ought to serve God. We ought to do things as he would have us to do them. But anyway, God is the only one that is worthy. And it's it's not a sinful thing for a man to lift up the name of God as it would be a sinful thing to exalt another man or to exalt oneself. It's not sinful to lift up God's name because he's deserving and worthy of the praise that we would offer. Well, let's go into verse 2 of Revelation 19. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he has judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Now we know Revelation 19 is following uh, um, chronologically from chapter 18. Chapter to chapter in the book of Revelation does not always follow chronologically. But since God pointed out in Revelation 17 and 18 that Babylon was the great whore, or great harlot, and and uh, Revelation 18 began by declaring Babylon is fallen, is fallen. It was the time of her judgment. The time for Babylon to be judged has come. And and here in verse 2, God is saying he has judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication. That also was pointed out in chapter 17 and 18. The, the sin of Babylon, as she um, caused the nations of the world to drink of the cup, the wine of her fornication. So chapter 19, the um, theme is continuing to discuss the judgment of Babylon or the final judgment of this world. Now this is uh, additional confirmation, and, and we have lots of it that Babylon is representative of the world. Because here as God is saying he has judged and he has avenged as he has judged Babylon. And as we continue in Revelation chapter 19, we're going to see that um, it speaks of the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is judgment day of the world. It it speaks of um, casting the beast and and his armies into a fiery pit and or a lake of fire and so forth and and it all fits together it all harmonizes with the time immediately after the tribulation when God turns his attention figuratively to Babylon or to the kingdom of Satan to bring about the final judgment of mankind now it it says here that God has judged and hath avenged. Notice it's past tense in both cases. That means 
that the judgment upon Babylon has already occurred and the vengeance of God has already taken place upon Babylon. And now, since we are presently living in the world, in the time of the world's judgment, can we say that God hath judged the world, or that he has avenged his servants? Can we speak in the past tense presently, since the judgment is ongoing? We know God began the judgment on May 21, 2011, and the judgment continues over a prolonged period of time, and very likely will conclude on October 7th, 2015. But, in other words, can we read Revelation 19 right now as something that God uh, will do at the conclusion of this prolonged period of judgment? That is, at the end of the world? Or can we use this kind of terminology or the the past tense that God has judged and has avenged his people already? And actually, both are correct. God has judged, past tense, and avenged his people, past tense, while also it's continuing. It's in progress uh, as Judgment Day is continuing to unfold in these days and will continue for some days more. Uh, Both are correct. God did judge mankind on May 21, 2011. And that's in the past. And the uh, Greek word translated as judged is Strong's number 2919. And it's also translated in a couple of different ways. Let's go to Acts 15 and verse 19. It says there, Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. Now this is the the early church council held in Jerusalem to um, decide the doctrine of the church concerning the Gentiles. And the word sentence is a translation of the same word judged, or the same Greek word that is translated as judged in our verse. So really, it it could read, Wherefore my judgment is that we trouble not them, or my sentence is. And, And that helps us to understand the word a little bit better. You know, uh, for instance, when someone is before a judge, and and um, uh, in our society, the jury has found them guilty, and the judge is going to pronounce the punishment, and he sentences the person who committed the crime. And the judge's sentence is, you will spend the next ten years in prison. So, when that individual leaves the courtroom, he has been sentenced. He, it, it, in the past now, the judge has already sentenced him, and yet he still has to carry out the, the ten years in prison. And, and so, it is a past judgment, 
yet an ongoing judgment. And that's similar to what God has done. God sentenced the world on May 21, 2011, when he shut the door of heaven to a period of a prolonged judgment in which no one will become saved and the righteous will stay righteous, that is, righteous in Christ. The saved will remain saved and the spiritually filthy will remain spiritually filthy. They will never um, be translated out of the darkness into the light. It's an impossibility. So the sentence has been cast and and will remain. They are sentenced. Every unsaved individual has been sentenced. It's just a matter of carrying out the penalty. Now also in Acts, in Acts chapter 25, in verse 25, Acts 25, 25, it says, But when I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, and that he himself hath appealed to Augustus, I have determined to send him. This is um, Festus, who uh, is trying to make a judgment concerning the Apostle Paul. And so he says, I have determined to send him to Caesar, to Augustus. And the word determine is, again, a translation of the same Greek word, often translated as judge or judged. And here, it's a determination. That's what a judgment is. And that's why also, since the elect are standing before the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment is a determination. And the determination can be, I find no fault in this man, as Pilate said of Jesus. That is, there's innocence here. There's no guilt. And that will be the determination of God concerning everyone of his elect that had their sins paid for in Christ from the foundation of the world. But now God has brought them before his judgment seat to make manifest that their sins were paid for by having them go through this period of judgment on the world, that is, by keeping them in the world and having them live on the earth at the time of the final judgment of mankind, the elect are appearing before the judgment seat of Christ, yet the judgment will be at the completion of the time period that the determination will be one of innocence for all those whose sins were paid for because they have no sin on them. Their sin is gone. It's been removed by Christ, paid for by Him. Therefore, they are free, and and they have no um, transgression. They have not broken God's law. At least, they have not broken it in any way that has not already been paid for. And and therefore, at the end of the period of judgment. At the end of the 1600 days, it's, it strongly appears or seems, then God will lift them up because they are righteous before him and, and he has judged the quick and the dead. The living he judged and found them 
sinless because, again, their sins were already paid for. And it's a determination. And God determined at the very beginning of Judgment Day, beginning on May 21, 2011, He made a determination in the case of every human being that was living on the earth. God determined, you are one of my people, I have saved you. You are not one of my people, and I have not saved you. And again, going back to that verse in Revelation 22, and let me read it since I'm referring to it again. It says in Revelation 22, 11, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. This is the judgment that God has judged Babylon, past tense, already. And, and, and so, as it says here in Revelation 19, in verse 2, for true and righteous are his judgments. And, and again, his judgment to one is, uh, you're guilty to another who he has saved, who Christ has paid their sins for. You are innocent. And, and both are righteous judgments of God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he has judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Now let's just go to one more verse uh, in Revelation chapter 6 and we'll see how God is answering these scriptures in Revelation 19. In Revelation 6 and verse 9, it says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God, and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them, that they should rest yet for a little season, until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. And the implication is, is that little season uh, represents the Great Tribulation period. You, You rest until the Great Tribulation is over, and during the Great Tribulation, many were driven out of the churches, which spiritually is killing, according to the Bible, and many had to be killed in that manner over the course of the Great Tribulation. So you rest until the end. And and the end of the Great Tribulation is the end of Babylon's rule, as, uh, again, historically, the 70 years typify the Great Tribulation. And then God turns his attention to Babylon, to the world, and he judges and avenges the blood of his servants. All the blood, remember, we read in the last verse of Revelation 18, in her, in Babylon, was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. Now is the time of 
the vengeance of God for all the blood going all the way back to Abel and all through the history of the world that mankind, the kingdom of Satan, has shed. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.